know the vibes welcome back to another episode of the hoop genius podcast brought to you by nba 2k24 myself momunsi alongside me as always the three-time nba champion bj armstrong and our weekly guest the one and only mr scott perry how you doing fellas it's, it's, it's all good real name no gimmicks <laughs> scotty p is back so uh let's get right into it we don't want to waste this man time he he's the busiest man he's the busiest man in show business <laughs> i appreciate being back with you guys it's starting to feel like feel like old home week so i look forward to it it's the best time of the week we're gonna go straight in last week we saw the inaugural uh in-season tournament now I'm surprised they didn't come up with a better name. I'm surprised they didn't get a sponsor and call it the Skims in-season tournament. But here we are. The in-season <laughs> tournament has begun. <laughs> where, where are you going with this, man? Where are you going with this? I'm just saying. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, like, if you're going to call it the in-season, at least call it the NBA Cup. Or at least call it, like, something catchy. The in-season tournament. And then they print T-shirts that say in-season tournament on them. Like... Who's doing the branding for this? That's that's what I want to know. But aside from that, um, it brought a different flavor to the NBA. We saw a bunch of courts being played on that were colorful. You know, Indiana had a blue and a yellow court and Chicago had a red court. Um, then we saw some really good games. You know, I don't know if it was a coincidence, um, but we had some very, very close matchups. In your opinions, just off the bat, do what's your thoughts on the in-season tournament? Do you think this is going to be a success for the NBA? Well, personally, I think long-term, it will be a success for the NBA. You know, what you're having to do right now is just condition not only the players and coaches to compete for a trophy that's different than what they've been competing for for the last 75 years. And, you know, what we know now is the Larry O'Brien trophy that the, the crowns the NBA champion at the end of the year. So now you want to... Uh, have a trophy in the middle of the season or early part of the season that, um, you know, rewards the winning team with the, another trophy. So it, like anything else, when, you, when you're enacting change, it takes a little time to get used to. And I think it, you got to get the fan base used to it as well. And so I think that's why one of the reasons you see the colorful courts and, and some of those measures being taken just to kind of separate it from a normal regular season game. To your point, highly competitive games. Um, three of them, I think, ended in um, two points or less. I think the only the only game that was uh, decided by more than ten points was the uh, uh, Denver and Mavericks game. So uh, players will be feeling their way along through it. I think, to me, another thing that will be will really tell a lot about this tournament for this year. Once you get out of the in essence, what is pool play uh, and get to the knockout round and then eventually to the uh, final four and championship game. I think at that point, that will allow coaches and players to kind of, um, you know, it's well before playoff time, but start to put together some some planning and see what it's like essentially for a game seven. And I know it's not the, the NBA playoffs, but it, with it being a knockout and guys competing for a monetary prize, I think uh, it'll be interesting to see those games to see just how 
uh, competitive they are and then kind of the strategy that takes place during that time. I think you, you'll see a, a different level or even improved level of competition uh, when that happens. Well, you know, Scotty, you know, here on the podcast, the Hoop Genius Podcast, I go by the name, real name, no gimmicks. So I'm going to get right to the business here. <laughs> Traditionally, our fan base has all come, we've all kind of come to the conclusion that we don't start viewing the NBA until Christmas Day. That's when the season starts for our viewers. That's when they give us traditionally the marquee matchups where our fan base says, you know what? Okay. The NBA season, even though it, that we know it started for the pure fans, however, the overall fan base, because you know, right now here in America, you have football, what's going on. And that's the time where we began to ramp up, if you will. So the NBA has come to the conclusion. What do we have to lose right now? in early November and how can we get some of the market share? Well, I think from a business strategy standpoint, I think this is a phenomenal opportunity to get some of that market share, increase the games. Right now you can see that the league now has really made a huge effort to combat things such as, uh, you know what what, what load, load management, management yeah. loads management and things like that to get the guys to play you can see now the compensation that's been really stressed in the media about who's getting what who's going to win now the coaches will participate in this so i think right now this is a huge business opportunity that the league says what do we have to lose by trying to draw up with a creative opportunity to get the players to play for something earlier in the season when really the, I would say the casual fan who really doesn't start watching us until right around Christmas and after that to get engaged and try to get us engaged. So I think it's an opportunity. I think they have a huge, you know, thing to get the list, get the audience, if you will, or get the customers kind of conditioned to what's going on now, because normally you don't have, uh, this type of effort and energy going into the early part of the season. However, I think once that happens and you'll see the the teams and the players begin to get engaged into it, I think it has a real chance to work. And I think biz, overall, business-wise, I think it can pay dividends down the road. I think from the yeah. business perspective of it, you know, I've heard rumors from certain people that the long-term vision of this tournament, uh, seeing as we're going to have the final four played out in Vegas this year, where you're going to have the uh, the semifinalists and then obviously the final um, competing over there is long-term that could potentially be overseas. That could be in Europe. That could be in the Middle East. That could be in Africa. And they can take this in-season tournament on the road to the international fan base of the NBA as well. For me, it's, it's kind of wild to me that you're saying, okay, cool, we're giving you millions of dollars to play these 82 games, but you don't care about them and everyone knows that you don't really care about them. So here's more money and now you're going to compete for a trophy. Now over here in the UK for football or a soccer, as you guys call it, we have the Premier League, which is the league competition for the top teams you know, in the country. They also have what's known as the League Cup. Um, which has a different sponsor most years. It's like the Carabao Cup. It's been the Carling Cup, the Worthington Cup, whatever brand wants to sponsor it. And the thing with that 
is no one really cares about who wins. It's like you win, well done, you get a trophy, you get a bonus on your contract, da 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 da. But the fans don't really care. How can we, uh, how can the NBA, should I say, make the fans care about winning the in-season tournament as much as they care about winning the championship? Because over here, if you win the League Cup, which is the early competition, it's, okay, cool, no one really cares. Now let's see if you can win the league. Um, How does the NBA get fans to actually buy in and care about who wins? Are they going to have a championship banner? What's the the process going to be like to getting that buy-in to make sure it really is significant? You know, again, to my... Beginning point, BJ made some very, you know, valid business points, but being a part of those conversations for the last few years and knowing that this tournament was um, definitely in the purview of the NBA and, and it was something that I know Adam Silver really wanted to uh, see happen. I think everybody understands it's going to take a few years to condition the fan base. It's not going to just happen overnight that, uh, you know, this year that the fans are just, I think, just going to really get behind. I think right now it's a little, it's a little bit of intrigue and everybody's just kind of feeling it out and saying, OK, let me see what it really looks like. But another product of a byproduct of this, too, though, um, that ultimately you're going to really want to catch with this tournament. It's the players that are currently playing in high school right now in the United States in particular that they are watching this as a part of the NBA now. And so I think the hope is by the time they, you know, three, four years from now, may become NBA players, you know, the ones that are are, are one and done, if you will, uh, that they have really bought into a game excitement. And I think that will start to show in how they play. And I think along the way, the NBA will, which they've always done an excellent job of, is finding that marketing tool or or, or, or branding that, uh, to your point, will uh, really capture the public, and uh, and so we might be a year or two away from that, but I think it's coming. I think uh, this is a learning year for everybody that's involved in it, and uh, so we'll wait and see. BJ, as a former player, if they had the in-season tournament around when you were playing. What would your approach been to it? Would you have cared that much about winning the in-season tournament or would your eyes solely be focused on getting to the NBA finals and winning the ultimate prize, the Larry O'Brien trophy? Well, you know, guy, as a player, I, I really can't really give comment about it because I've never participated other than at the collegiate level. I would think if I were playing in today's game that every game would matter to me, no matter whether it's, one of 82 or an in-season tournament. Now, clearly, once you get to the, once you get past the regular season, then there's a new mindset, which is the playoffs when you're playing in a seven-game series, which is a totally different game in and of itself because you got to be the team four out of seven games. So, however, these games, all they matter. I would like to think that no matter what, professionalism would be second to none in that I was going to play just as hard in game two than I was going to play for an in-season tournament. Um, I, I don't think that was the mindset of that era. However, it seems to be in the conversation this era, which seems odd to me <laughs> that, you know, it, you know, I, I, I think I can say this, you know, I wasn't always excited 
about practice. I understood the reason practice was important and I took practice very serious. However, I never had a problem playing in the game. Now, the game to me was that was the reward of why you wanted to play professional basketball anyway. So this whole mindset of not wanting to play to for whatever the reason may be, whether it's a doctor saying load manage, whether it's the team saying they're saving for down the line or what have you. If there was anything, I wanted to play in the game all the time like that. So this is a totally different mindset, but I would like to think of the way that I approach the game that I wanted to play every game. That was, <laughs> I don't care what was going on. I wanted to play and playing hard and all those things was never a problem. And for the most part, I think guys probably just wanted to play. Now I, I can't say we always wanted to practice. We, we practice because clearly you have to be good to practice. The better teams understand the professionalism that's necessary, but I've never been in a locker room where guys didn't want to play in the game. I mean, that to me is a totally different mindset that one, I, I frankly, I'm not, I'm not familiar with, you know, this load management and the things that they're doing today. Well, one player who didn't look like they were too up for playing in the in-season tournament uh, was on your former team, uh, the New York Knicks, Scott, uh, Julius Randle in the game against um, the Cleveland Cavaliers, was it? He looked uh, very despondent and not interested in what was going on, particularly in the closing stages of the game. There was a possession where Jalen Brunson missed a shot. Uh, Julius Randle looked very disappointed that he didn't get the ball and he didn't even bother getting back on defense. He's had a very tough start to the season. Um, through the first six games of this NBA season, for players who have taken a minimum of 90 field goals in the history of the NBA, uh, Julius Randle is shooting the second worst shot percentage Ever. They're saying he's shooting tour dates. Uh, you know, he's got five of 20, three of 15, four of five of 14, four of 15, four of 10, and five of 22. He's really struggling and doesn't really look with the rest of the squad. Um, what are your thoughts on the Knicks so far and Julius Randle's struggles? First of all, I think you're referring to the Milwaukee Buck game. Oh, that yeah, my mistake. Yeah. So I just wanted to, yeah, there was in Milwaukee uh this past Friday. Look, uh, can't sugarcoat it. Obviously, Julius is struggling right now. Um, he's not in rhythm. And again, not to make any type of excuse for him, but knowing him like I do, and I think like the public at large knows Julius, not only during this time uh, with New York, but prior to him coming to New York. Julius is a hard worker. He wants to play every game. He wants to compete. He wants to do well. I mean, the off-season surgery that he had, uh, he's a real rhythm player. Probably knocked him out of his rhythm a little bit. So he's one of the uh, handful of guys that I'm aware of uh, in the NBA that, and it's very public in this, that he likes to play in the summer, play a lot of five-on-five pickup. BJ can relate to that. We talk about that a lot. Uh, so he didn't really have the opportunity to do that this summer as he um, recovered from the uh, ankle procedure that he had. And he looked, his body looks in good shape, but his rhythm and timing look off. And I think he's really pressing right now, trying to uh, make up for lost time, if you will, what he didn't get a chance to do uh, in the off season. Uh, one thing that I'd like to see him do 
Um, and we talk about this a lot. You don't have to, because BJ's made this point a lot. If you're scoring, if you're not shooting the ball well, which obviously he's not doing right now, there's other ways to impact winning. And Julius has an opportunity to do that right now. He can defend better than what he's defending right now. He can, you know, he's rebounding. I think he's averaging 10 rebounds a game. His first few games were, were double doubles, even though he was shooting poorly. But he's to break out of this slump, I, I think he's got to really uh, focus in and start to uh, exert much more energy defensively, get to the glass. I think he needs to attack the rim more. He's heavily relying upon three-point shots right now. I think this is, you know, it's getting a small sample size just six games in. I think he's averaging like 6.7 attempts, almost seven three-point attempts a game. And when you're trying to get out of a shooting slump, uh, I think you got to find a way to get easy baskets. I know that. So what I mean by easy baskets, he's strong, he's physical, get to the rim, see the ball go in the hoop sometime, draw some fouls, get to the line, make some free throws, and then eventually he can work his way out of it. But right now, I know the Knicks, obviously, my guess would be a, a concern early on, but uh, Julius, no one's a tougher critic on uh, his play than he is of himself. So I expect that uh, he's pr uh, probably working overtime right now, trying to figure it out and hopefully he can uh, start to regain some rhythm come uh, the game uh, Monday against the Clippers. BJ, yes. with Julius Randle, you know, we've seen him have some great seasons in the past. Uh, last season, you know, he's putting up 25 points a game. This season, he's struggling. But the season before that um, was a little bit worse than the season prior to that. It seems like he has one really good season and one slightly less good season and then a really good season again. So it's kind of up and down with him. Do you think there's a reason behind this? Well, you, you, you know, a lot of times when we look at the stats and we forget the surroundings and the environments in which these young people are playing, you know, Julius Randall, what is this now? Is this, is this his second or third coach? I believe since he's been there, maybe more. They're in New York. And the one thing about Julius Randle, you know, I've, for better or for worse, I've been watching this young man since high school. You know, I think, you know, I think Scott alluded to it. He's a rhythm player. And when you're a rhythm player, you have to find your rhythm and it takes time, right? You not, you know, you only, you hear players say it all the time. I found my rhythm tonight, but you have to find your rhythm within the framework of the team. This is a new team now. And even though they have this, most of their players, if not their whole starting lineup coming back. However, this is a new team. And in particular with Julius, you know, I, I think it's a, I, 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 coming into last year, I think Julius was probably still considered the best player on their team. I think this year his, his role has significantly changed because it's clearly Jalen Brunson's team. Now it's clear. I mean, it, it's, it's to me, he's the, he's the number one option. Okay. Now, the one thing I respect about Julius Randle is that he shows up. And Mo, you've heard me say this for years now. The best ability ability is availability. This young man is tough. He's physical. And he plays a brand of basketball I think everyone respects because he plays hard. I mean, he plays hard. I mean, he plays through the contact. You, you, you love the things you do. However, when you do get hurt and you have an off-season surgery, 
you're not the same player you was before that surgery. And that's going to take time. And, and, and Mo and our audience knows this. I always give players 20 to 25 games before I start figuring out and say who they are. Now you can work out, you can do rehab. And certainly I've been through numerous rehabs in my career, right? I had about six knee surgeries. And let me tell you something, every single time when you come back and play from those rehabs and not being able to play, if I remember correctly, I think he was in a boot for most of the summer. Certainly I remember after the season. So yeah, you come back and you play. However, not being able to push off, not being able to stop and start. But the most important thing is the landing. Okay. It's going to take him some time, whether he wants to admit it or not. But we're go this is what we do. We tell it like it is so that people can understand that these, they're not just robots out here. So it's going to take Julius some time. Okay. The one thing that I noticed, especially with Julius, over the years, I've always appreciated his ability to play through contact. Now, sometimes he does things that you go, oh, Julian, maybe you might want to do X, Y, and Z. But he's always playing to the basket. This is the first time in the first three or four games I've seen him fading away from contact. I mean, he's been a guy that gets to the free throw line double digits. I don't know what he's doing this year, but I can never – I. it's been a long time since watching him play since high school where I'm seeing him take more fadeaway shots than I've ever seen him over his career. And a lot of that has to do with his inability to push off and go through things right now. Now, like I said, I don't know the numbers, what have you, but I would suspect as he gains more confidence in that ankle, things will improve. His balance will improve. As you guys know, we all, you know, we were all players, no matter what level, there's a level of balance that you have to have. And if you are favoring one side or another, that's just enough to throw you off, especially at the elite level in which he's playing at. So I'm going to allow him to play through this, get through this. He's a tough kid mentally and physically. Would I like him to do some other things? Because one of the rules that you have to abide by is you can't allow your inability to score determine whether or not you play well. That is the only thing that I could criticize him, I think, which is fair criticism. Okay, you're not shooting well right now. However, don't let that determine on whether you play well or not and you have an impact on winning. Because in the end, you got to find a ways to win the game. Okay, we watched Chris Paul just the other night. I think he scored one point and had 13 assists. You got to find a way. And that's what part of being a professional is all about. And hopefully he'll figure it out. But I'm going to give him time because you know what? If you've had surgery and you've come back, that's going to take some time. And I know New York can be tough and we can quickly turn. However, the truth of it is I, I'm, I'm going to give him enough time. He's earned that time. And I'm going to give him the respect of saying he's out there playing and playing through it. And I expect him to return back to, to where he was at, you know, before that injury, because he was playing very well, I thought. Oh, another big story. Well, you got to remember, you gotta, and we're talking about a guy that was um, twice all NBA in the last three seasons as well, too. So uh, his performance matters to him. And uh, he, I, I expect him to, like BJ said, work through it, really try to figure it out. Hopefully he can be figuring it out as a team, as he's helping the team figure out how to just win some games, even mm -hmm. if his mm -hmm. shooting percentages don't go up. But like I said, his defense, if his, his, his defense has got to get better, uh, he can rebound even more. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and he can, he can pass. He's still a guy who's going to draw attention defensively too from other teams. So his ability to get rid of the ball, make the right pass, uh, could also uh, help that team start to play a little bit better offensively. Well, another big story out of New York this week. Uh, you know, BJ, one of your favorite sayings that we've heard you say on the show a lot is winning covers covers a multitude of sins. And with the Knicks currently uh, two and four to start a season, you know, last season we discussed Mitchell Robinson posting a, a Snapchat post where he was talking about he was unhappy with the amount of touches he was getting. And early in this season this year, his trainer, Marcel Scott, has put out a post um, complaining that damn 23 is not even much of a lob threat anymore. What happened to rewarding your big sometimes for busting a ass? It's a lot of me, me, me ball in New York. Good night. Um, do you think that this is literally just a case of results not going their way? And so now potentially some of the players or the people around them are unhappy. And if they start to pick up the wins, this will go away. Or do you think there's a deeper problem going on here? Well, you know, and and looking at it from the outside and, and knowing about New York, New York is is probably the most unique place of any place in the NBA to play because of the coverage of the New York. I mean, I, I, I think they have like four or five, six beat writers that are just covering the team. And there's always something going on there. However, the one thing that will erase all the mistakes of New York is winning. So when you don't win there, those editors need something. <laughs> okay. Whether it's, we know you're listening. <laughs> they need something and they're looking for something. And how, and when you win, it's amazing how it's the greatest sports city in the world. And when they lose, it's somebody's fault. Someone's going to take the blame. It's the worst die, and they're just, they're relentless. Okay. So you know that. It takes a unique personality to play in New York. Let's just start there. Okay. New York is not for everybody. It's not for everybody. And if you have thin skin, I would advise as any player that's considering going there, if you have thin skin, that's not the place for you. You have to have a level of, of mental and physical toughness that's bar none. That's what it is. It is true. If you can play, if you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. So I like to say this, and all of my friends who I've had and all the coaches and executives over there, you're never as good as they say, and you're never as bad as they say. That's New York. And, and that just sums it up for me about New York. When New York, I remember, Mo, you and I did the playoffs that one year when the, I think the New York hadn't made the playoffs in, in quite a while. Mm -hmm. That first playoff series. With the Hawks. With the Hawks. <laughs> was hands down the loudest, one of the greatest crowds I've witnessed in my, in my association with the NBA. I mean, it was fantastic. I mean, the fans were great. They were loud. They were, you say, a home court advantage. They were the sixth, seventh, and eighth man. They were unbelievable. Now, that was in response because they hadn't been there in a while. Now you're playing now where I think the same crowd is saying, well, maybe we, sh 
we should be in the conference finals. Now, if we don't, we, we're expecting to win. So New York is, you know, when things are good, things are great. When things are good, things are, but you're, you, you got to just live somewhere in the middle there and, and get through it. So, you know what? Mitchell Robinson is probably a guy. I don't know him. You know, Scott, no, Scott drafted him. He's a guy that's, in my opinion, he, he, he has a personality for New York. Because he's just, you know, he's just a good kid. He just plays and he has the personality where he doesn't appear to be, to be like into the New York lifestyle, if you will. So I think that's a positive for him. So I think you just get through it. You play. Let me, let me say this. Next week, the Knicks, in the next two weeks, the Knicks are going on a seven, eight game winning streak. And then the same headline next week after this seven, eight game win streak, they're going to the NBA Finals. Same team. That's how <laughs> they, this is New York. So I'm not going to get too high with it. I'm not going to get too low with it. But what I do know is that when it's good there, I can't think of a better place to be. I really can't. I, I enjoy it. I enjoy playing there. I re, I enjoy walking through the airports. I enjoy when the bellman wouldn't bring my bags because he was a Knicks fan. I enjoyed it walking through the, because we, we, we used to fly through the airports and, and all of the, the people would boo us walking through the airports. It's phenomenal. It's a phenomenal, phenomenal sports. Song. But when it's not good, Mo, oh, it can wear on you. I mean, he, well said. All right, <laughs> I'm talking to, I, <laughs> I just sat there and listened to it. I said, wow, okay. But you lived it, Scott. You know, I, I, I lived it, and it, uh, he was spot on on so many points. I'll just add to the Mitchell Robinson um, piece that you talked about, Mo. Mitchell, I believe, and again, it's just six games in, is averaging as many rebounds per game, more rebounds per game than he has throughout his career. I think he's 11 plus boards a game, maybe close to 12. He's going to play hard regardless of whether he's getting the ball or not. Would he like to, you know, I'm sure would he like to get more touches just like most every basketball player would? Absolutely, of course. And I think that will come in time as the team kind of works out their early season uh, kinks, if you will. Uh, you know, a lot is going on right now and the team's just trying to gain traction in terms of winning games. But Mitchell's I, watching him, you know, he's still chasing after the games I've watched this year. He's, you know, chasing shots in the lane, um, rebounding, best offensive rebound in an entire NBA, in my opinion. Um, and uh, I think he will just continue to do what Mitchell Robinson does and that's play hard play for the team and he's going to take with whatever comes his way. And again, hopefully for his sake um, that he will start to see a, a few more lobs and get a few more touches because you never want to take a big man for granted. BJ will tell you that. <laughs> I, you, you I, thank you, Scott. You, you don't want him going on strike one day and saying, all right, I've been <laughs> 40 games in, I'm rebounding my, my tail off. I'm, I'm chasing all these shots and I'm not getting enough touches, and all of a sudden he wakes up and says, okay, you know what? Well, I'm not going to help you next time that your guy comes you, down the lane. You don't want to get know, to that <laughs> but I don't think Mo, they're nowhere near that point right now. Mo and our listeners here all around the world, 
<laughs> Scott Perry and B.J. Armstrong grew up in Detroit. We were considered scoring guards before we even knew what the <laughs> scoring guard was. Okay. Scott Perry was <laughs> shooting. There was no three-point line. We didn't even know. This is true story. We didn't know about a three-point line because we didn't have a three-point line mode when we played in high school. No. Scott Perry was shooting deep. Like you see Steph Curry, Logo and Damian Lillard. He was doing this before we we just thought he was a little crazy. He's like, man, why he shoot so far? Like this call dude him was parking shooting. Lot Perry. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah that's exactly. That's, that's exactly I like that, Mo. I like it. Lot. Scott was literally the guy that you say, man, he shoot deep. Like you didn't want to play horse with Scott because he was shooting so deep. But mm. Mo, even Scott Perry and BJ Armstrong knew this. We got to keep the big man and give him a few touches to keep him engaged in the game. Yes. Like, 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 Mo, like Bill Cartwright, who I still talk to once every two weeks, even to this day, because that was my big guy. He took care of me <laughs> and I had to take care of him. Now, I don't know what the guards are thinking here in New York, <laughs> but I want to tell those guys, just give him one touch, Mo. You can ask anybody to play in Chicago. What was the first play of every game we ran? It was five for down. For yep. Bill Cartwright was going to get the first play of every game. And if he scored on that play, it was mandatory that we repeat the first play. Right. Mo, okay. And, Mo, we had a guy on our team, Mo, who could score a little bit. Okay? Hey, just a little bit. Just a little just bit. Just a little bit, Mo. You know what I mean? Now, Mo, even we knew that. What I can't understand about a guy who defensively, who is elite, in my opinion, he has a chance to be a defensive player of the year candidate in Mitchell Robinson. He rebounds. He's a machine. Give him just one touch a game. Let him know, okay, the coaches may not give you a play, but I'm going to give you a touch. Just give him one touch in a 48-minute game. It won't do anybody any harm, Mo. He probably will rebound even better if you just gave him a touch. So I just wanted to know, even Scott Perry and I, who we average a lot of points, <laughs> even we knew that one. <laughs> That's the one thing I don't understand. And take care of your big fella. Take care of him. Well, hey, Mo, obviously I didn't play in the NBA, but I can see the, my time with the Pistons. And when Larry Brown came to the Pistons, I'll never forget one of the first things he did, Ben Wallace had been player, uh, defensive player of the year a couple, couple years uh, already, uh, or at least once. I'm sorry, but I know he he won the award four times. You can go back and look at it, just like BJ's talking about the Bill Cart and Bill Cartwright could score. Bill Cartwright could mm -hmm. score in college. Into the league as a score in the NBA. Now Ben Wallace was not known as a scorer at all. You go back and look at game film for those years that Larry was the coach. First play to start every game <laughs> was a post low post touch for Ben Wallace. Just to touch it. Now, he didn't shoot it every time because, you know, a lot of times those guys, they, they want the ball, but he just wanted to be involved. And Larry understood, okay, I'm going to do that in the first quarter and I'm going to do it to start the third quarter. And you know what Larry knew? Oh, I'm going to get a minimum of 15 to 20 boards, three, mm -hmm. four blocks, mm -hmm. and I'm going to have a happy camper on my hand. He he was going to do – Ben was going to do it anyway, 
But now he's doing a little bit of a little sly smile on his face. Like, okay, <laughs> I'm involved in this office a little bit. <laughs> well, speaking of bakes, um, this is something BJ's wanted to talk about for a hot minute on this show. Um, so Scott, you can jump in first because then BJ's gonna just talk. <laughs> and I'm I'm gonna just leave with two words. Victor. Oh, 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 don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this to us. Oh, boy, boy, oh, boy. You know, I I think I mentioned the BJ one day. Maybe it was in the preseason. I said, you better get the best of him now if you're playing against him. You better take advantage of Victor Wembanyama now as he goes through that first year or two of the NBA trying to figure everything out. And then I saw him going to Phoenix to score 30 points the other night. I was like, you might, you might be, you probably better get him now in the first 25 to, to 40 <laughs> games of the year. Because after that, uh, he, it can be some real problems. I mean, this, this, I mean, it, all of the superlatives have been thrown out about this young man, but I'm not even going to talk about his skill right now. The thing that's standing out to me is he's showing that he has that clutch gene. He's showing up in fourth quarters. No matter what's going on in the first three quarters, he wants that ball in the fourth. He's not afraid to take the big shot. He's got an excellent basketball IQ. And once his strength catches up to his length, Oh man, it's it's he's really gonna be a problem. He's a problem today. Don't get me wrong. He's a problem for opponents right now. But when he gets that strength to a point, not that he has to bulk up a great deal, but just getting some of the natural strength that comes with age and uh, and then the training. I'm sure that they're doing with him down in San Antonio, and then the knowledge that he picks up, and you know, having a coach like Greg Popovich that. It's going and, and and guys like Tim Duncan and David Robinson in the building that uh, give him nuggets here and there. Woo, he's going to be a problem for the entire league. And uh, I'm glad I'm not coaching, trying to figure out how to stop him. I can tell you that. Much. <laughs> <laughs> you 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 know, Scott. I want to take advantage of you being here. I mean, you are been in this league for 20 plus years. We always talk about building your team. I can talk about Victor anytime. I and and and, and on I tomorrow's love episode, BJ. Yeah, tomorrow's twenty yes, minutes. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and 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 Scott, I have my dream scenario in building the team is to have five seven footers on the floor. I've said this years ago, but Scott, I want to ask you because you have been building teams for the last twenty years with a young player like Victor Wimbenyama. Share with us what you see on how to build around this young man's talent, because this is a skill. And I want to hear you talk about that because I could go on and on about him, what I, what I like, but I want to hear, I want to hear you share and break it down in your level of expertise of how you would actually go about the process. Because to me, it's a very, it's very complicated how you would build around this young man, because the player that we see today is not the player that's going to win an NBA championship. And what type of vision and foresight that you can share with us that you see early on, just from your observation from afar? It, well, the guy with his skill that 
touches so many positions on the court, you still going to want to find out to your point long term, what's going to be the ideal position for Victor? Is that going to be a five? Is that going to be a four? Um, what I would like, what I would like to, to do or would see around him, I think teams that will try to go at him and make it tough for him and they're trying to do it already is getting real physical with him. So I'd like to get a player alongside of him, a front court player who could do some dirty work. <laughs> you real physical. I let me just cut through the chase. Now this is the the bad boys. Uh, <laughs> coming out of me, but so you're gonna eliminate any of the physicality yeah. that's go. That yes. Case. So I need. So okay, he's taking some unnecessary shots. He's got unfortunately. You guys uh, had people like that in your Bulls uh, organization. Yeah, absolutely, like, and you've had some players like that in your Detroit Pistons. Pistons, exactly. <laughs> just a few. <laughs> yeah, so I think having. An inside guy with some that physicality like that, and also a perimeter guy with some physicality and toughness and, and defensive chops. Then I would, you know, obviously sprinkle because he's going to command. It's interesting. You can go double this guy, but he's still going to be a, he's going to be able to shoot over the top of you. But if you make him back away and difficult, when he has to spray the ball out, obviously he needs somebody else that can shoot the basketball. He's going to need a couple of people on the floor that can make shots with him. And lastly, because um, again, one guy can't do it all. And like I said, BJ played with the, the greatest of all time. You need another guy on that floor with him who could also play off the bounce and make plays. Mm, mm. To take the pressure off of him some nights. Because look, we haven't seen a 7-5 guy who is what I think going forward still going to be called upon to play a lot, facing the basket, away from the basket, and 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 playing in a lot of small forward and guard spaces. What's that going to do to his body? Even though when he gets stronger, you know, what's that going to take out of him? So if you can get someone that can create and take some of that offensive pressure off him, and again, we're talking about the team putting together to win it all. I think that's that will be important too. You know, he's going to need uh, a good Robin to use the Batman and Robin comparison. He's going to need a really good Robin alongside of him. This versatile that, again, mm. play off the bounce, score your 20 points um, and, uh, you know, help him on those nights. And they'll they, probably be rare nights, but on those days and nights that, that he's struggling to help carry him through. And uh, that's that's how we kind of my vision of trying to put a team around him and uh, what it would look like. Well, can I ask you this? You know, our, our show is sponsored by NBA 2K24. So if you were loading up NBA 2K24 and you were creating a team and you had Victor on your team and you had to put four other players on the court with him, but the condition is only one of those other guys can be an all-star. Can you give me four names, just examples that you would love to have in a starting five with Victor Wembanyama? Oh, that's a that that is a tough one, Mo. Um, hey, I'm I'm easing you in. We've been nice the first two episodes. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> the pressure's gonna start turning up, Scott. You got to know this, so I'm putting yeah. you on the spot here uh, with this one. 
one all-star and then three role players. You said one all-star. Yeah. One oh. other star player and then three role players. Well, I, I don't want to start picking guys off teams that I'm sure these teams would never trade those guys. So yeah, and this is this is just, you know, if you're playing video games, if you're playing NBA 2K24, who would you have with him? You know, this is not real life, you know? Right, right. Well, guy on the perimeter, I would like, that fits that kind of defensive thing and, and can make some shots, would be a guy like Jalen Brown uh, in Boston. I think that um, he'd be a good defender. He's used to play, you know, he's the number two guy right now to um, Jason Tatum. Um, so he would be a guy that comes to mind quickly uh, for me. Uh, and then uh, you have you know, three China, role players. You need your own force you, on the inside. Be, it's got to be. It's got to be three role players. And BJ, maybe you can help me out with some of the names right now because I don't have all the rosters. But, but yeah, well, I, I, I'm gonna say this got like, you know, this is what Mo talks about at two, three, four in the morning his time. He, I'll just get random texts. It's three, three in the morning right now. Yeah, right. it's three in the morning. So here, here's the thing, Scott. I haven't yet determined. Where I what I think his best position is, and right. I always start on the defensive end. Like mm -hmm. offensively, he clearly has shown the ability to be a three, four, five right now. Mm -hmm. Right. He when I say offensively, he BJ, he, he could be he could be a one. Did you see him pull yeah. up for three with five seconds left oh, yeah. on the clock? That's, that's what I'm saying. He he has shown <laughs> he has shown the ability and versatility. All right, and you know this is a word now where you're saying. He can do that on the offensive end. Defensively, because he moves his feet and he has an he has the he has the uncanny ability, which you can't teach. He can recover once you beat him. I mean, you beat him off the dribble, but he recovers and blocks the shot. Now that's the mark of a great, great defensive player. Okay. Right. And I can't take that away from him. So at some point. Scott, I think he has to be a five, whether he wants to be a five or not. Not that he has to be a five full time, but Scott, he's getting five block shots right now and he don't even oh. know what he's doing. <laughs> OK. Right. OK. So at some point, he's going to have to be some level of a rim protector. I liked his matchup the other night versus Kevin Durant. <laughs> the guy, I've seen this guy block more jump shots. I mean, he blocked a three point shot tonight against the Toronto rap. He just does things. So I'm not sure what he is. However, however, because the way he plays, I think it's important because it's one thing that he does, Scott, that, that, that I've seen it has taken even the great players to do. He passes the ball willingly right now. Like Scott, he doesn't have to learn how to pass and see a double team. He doesn't have to like know where his shooters are at. He can just pass the ball and he does it willingly. Okay. And that is a big thing because that's not, that's a rare thing with great players. No question. Okay. No, so, no, yeah. so I, I, I would think Scott, this player who plays beside him, will have to be a great interior passer as well because he doesn't look like he's going to ever have the body type where he can just come post up. 
No. He's going to constantly have to be on the move. Because he, if he catches it on the move, he has an advantage when he catches the ball. He can shoot over the top of anyone. I mean, did you see the 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 the, the photo the other night, guys, where he was shooting over the top of Kevin Durant as if he was just? I mean, it was an unbelievable. Did you see photo. him standing next to Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant, the free throw line, and Kevin Durant looked short for short. the first time in any picture it's ever. And Kevin Durant, okay, you're talking about one of the greatest offensive players of all time okay regardless of generation offensively kevin durant can score that basketball this kid victor Wimbenyama, which is shooting over the top of him so now i'm looking at him going scott i just don't know what he is how to play him how to build a team around it you know i thought you gave some great insight however I would think Scott, it probably you probably need an interior passer with him because of the way he play. I mean, Scott, he Scott, they're not they're playing right now without even a lead guard, a point guard, and they're right. winning on the road and they're a young team. I mean, this kid is only 19 years old. You and I both know how hard it is to win on the road, let alone beat a team back to back with Kevin Durant and by the way, Devin Booker were playing. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So mm-hmm. this kid has an effect on the game, minus a lead guard. Scott, we all know we need a lead guard to some capacity to organize the game. He's doing something now, and what he's doing is he passes the ball. And it, 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 sometimes, Scott, it takes guys two, three, four years. Sometimes they never learn how to pass. <laughs> sometimes. Okay? You're right. You're right. You're right. You're so I just think he he... I don't know what he is. I, I, would, I would venture to just say off the cuff, and if I've only watched him five or six games play professionally, that you got to start him off at the three. Mm-hmm. You got to start him off at the three because this kid hasn't extended his range. Scott, he can shoot. Oh, I mean, no. you and I can look at Scott. He can shoot. He isn't a big guy who's extended his range to three. He actually can dribble up to the line and shoot a pull-up three right now. Mm-hmm. So you can't take that away from him. He can shoot the corner three. He He's open every time he catches the ball. You can't double team him, Scott, with a guard. A six, a six, a six foot, six five guard can't double team him. A seven foot center can't double team him. He can see right over the top of everybody. So right. I just think, Scott, you got to treat him like you would treat like a, 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 a small forward who has versatility where you got to say, we're just going to move him around accordingly to wherever the game is going. Right. Because you can't just put him, you can't just treat him like a 7-5 a, a guy and put him under the basket. Scott, he's just, he's too gifted. I mean, he is, Scott, he's he's nutmegging people at 7-5. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, he, he, no, he's incredible. And that's why, you know, it, it's, it's hard placing the names to back to Mo's question yes. just to put next to him, you know. I was just again thinking profiles of the, the, mm-hmm. the toughness and the shooting, but you make great points. And he can play the small forward because one of the first things that stood out to me when I when I first saw him on on film was that he moves like a guy that's about six eight six nine. Yes, he does. He doesn't move like a guy that's seven five. Um. So no, it, look, I think when it's all said and done. Um, 
they're going to have a lot of fun down there in San Antonio. <laughs> Mixing and matching these pieces that we're talking about. I mean, it, uh, and he's a lot older now, but I think about a big who was kind of physical, who really became a good shooter. And you know him. Whereas, again, he's another guy that said Boston. I don't know that he's a level of interior passer. It was a guy like Al Horford. It was in yes. my mind thinking mm -hmm. that, you know, because he can shoot it as mm -hmm. well so now right. he's not going he's not going to get in the way of any space yes put it down so you know, he can space mm -hmm. the floor but he can do the dirty work down there yeah, yeah. that's a good call rebound. scott mm -hmm. that's yeah. a great call so, that's so a great call but a younger yeah but that's he was the first guy on my mind out of boston but at his age now but yeah. uh but he's he's the profile that i had in mind to put alongside him. That's a great call. So I, I, got, I, uh, he would. That's a great call. Scott. You got Jalen Brown. You got Al. I think we just need to get Wembenyama on the Celtics. I think that's. I think that's. <laughs> what we're saying. Yeah. I, think that's I think that's the only conclusion. <laughs> I mean, I want to. I want to know from the listeners though. So you guys who are listening, let us know. The Discord is linked in the description. Who would you make a starting five with Wemby with just one All Star on a team? If I was doing it off the top of my head, I'd have Wemby. Then you want that interior presence. I'd go for someone like Valanciunas. You know, he can bang down low a little bit. He's not afraid of no one. He can space the floor a little bit if you need him to. And then you want a defensive guard as well. You know, you've got to have Marcus Smart. That's just not even a question. And then give yeah. me Steph, give me Steph Curry on that team. And then all I need is a versatile three. Give me an Andrew Wiggins or someone. And there's my five. And I'll run up against anyone. But let me know from the listeners who you guys think. Get us on social media and uh, let us know what your five players would be. BJ, Scott, just to end this episode, I'm going to ask you the same thing I asked you last week. What's one team or one player that you're looking at this week that you're keeping your eye mm. on? Mm. Well, I, I'm i going to be watching the LA Clippers this week, and I'm going to watch to see how James Harden, because I read where he's opening up uh, at the Garden. He he said he's not a system he, player. He is the he, system. He, 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 <laughs> I think he's going to need to figure out how he can play in Ty Lue's system. Mm. <laughs> no, it's Ty. <laughs> and look, he grew up with a lot of those guys on that team. Well, you know, great familiarity with those guys, with Paul George and Kawhi and, uh, and Russell, all Southern California young men. So, but I want to see how he plays, how he tries to ingratiate himself with that group, that starting group, I understand those four are going to start alongside um, the Zubac. big fella Tubach, and just see what they look, see what they look like together. Not only offensively, because again, you that's going to be tough as well, because you've got Paul George that likes to have the ball. He's been having a Kawhi, great efficient. You know, has the ball, but he's efficient with it when he has it. You know, Russell has had the ball majority of his career and is off to a good start. We know James, he's already told you that he is a system himself. But what I also want to watch though, is how they defend, how they match up on the other end. I want to see, you know, I mean, you know, that the Kawhi is, is going to take the, the, the toughest matchup on, um, on the other side, probably. And then, uh, you know, Russell's never been af afraid of that, but I want to just see how they play as a team defensively uh, this week uh, with James coming on board. 
Wow. That, I mean, that's so good. I, I got to second that. I mean, I have to second that. But because Scott said it, I, I'm not going to I'm just going to go in a different direction. But I, I without question, that's the team 100%. I'm looking at. I'm I, That's the team I, I, I had in mind. But I'm going to look at the Sacramento Kings. I'm going to stay out west. Second week in ready. <laughs> yes, I'm going to look at them because of, you know, Fox getting hurt. Mm. And they lost a game I thought was critical last night to the Houston Rockets. That was a critical game. And now this lets me know that playing with the expectations, now something is going on there. And they have to turn, they got to get this thing turned around because right now, I don't know how long De'Aaron Fox is going to be out, but now I'm a little concerned because now they're losing games regardless if, if De'Aaron Fox is playing or not. They still expected to win and they didn't get it done. So I'm going to stay out there in Sacramento because I'm I'm looking for this team to be in the top four by the seasons by season's end. And right now you can see some early chinks in the armor. And I'm a little concerned after that loss there in Houston. Well, I'm gonna be watching the Memphis Grizzlies. They oh, started 0-6. Well, it currently is the, the second quarter they're going up against the Trailblazers. And if they lose this game against the Trailblazers, who are supposed to be the worst team in the Western Conference, uh, it's going to be very, very concerning 0-7. I understand John Rant is out and Stephen Adams and Brennan Clark, but at some point, you know, they dropped a game to the Washington Wizards. At some point, they've got to give Jazz something to work with when he comes back into the lineup. So... I'm hoping that they uh they managed to pick up a little bit. They've got a game well, against Bismack uh, Biyombo is there. Bismack <laughs> Biyombo is there. Bismack's now, going to know? save them, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think he started tonight. You know, I he, spoke to he, him he, earlier he today. Did. I think he started. Well, tonight. you touch on something important though for them. They can't get too far down. The West is uh, tight. They, they need they need they need some wins this week. You don't you you don't want to get ten games below five hundred because even though you got seventy two left. That is a long climb to make, to just get back to 500. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can't put everything on John Morant's return either, because again, it will take him some time. Yes, that's Once right. After 25 games, it'll take him some time to gain his rhythm and guys get used to playing with him again. So uh, all good calls. Yeah, I'm watching them all. I'm gonna hope they get this win against the Blazers, then they can take that momentum and beat the Heat and beat the Jazz. Because after that, they got the Clippers, Lakers, Wemby, Spurs, and then the Celtics. Um, so it could get real sticky for them if they don't manage to win a couple of these easier ones um, against you know the the Trailblazers, the Jazz, the Heat. So we're going to be locked in. We hope you guys at home are going to be locked in with us here at the Hoop Genius Podcast. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and of course on YouTube. Make sure you stay locked in with us. We're going to be back for more. Scott's going to be back next week. Mm. And let us know what you want to hear from us. We'll be here every day breaking down the NBA for you. Most importantly, until next time, get buckets. <laughs> <laughs>